Take your Bibles this morning and let's open them up to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Let's give our attention this morning to the reading of the Word. Sometimes you have a attention getter or some kind of opening illustration. We're going to let the text illustrate the point for us pretty clearly today. Acts chapter 5. Are you ready for the reading? Say amen. Amen. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now this is a sobering text. Isn't it? You see why it doesn't need an illustration or an attention getter. It gets our attention fairly well. If you remember, there is a connection with 5, 1 through 7, or 5, 1 through 11, back with the summary that we had a couple of weeks ago. And the summary was found in chapter 4, beginning in verse 32 and carrying down through verse 37. So we learned that in verse 32, track with me, they had all things together. They were focusing with one heart. They had all things in common. And we learned that the gospel was central in that church. And the Holy Spirit was operative and active. And it was a healthy, holy community of faith. We learned that powerful preaching strengthened the church family. And it adorned the gospel of Jesus Christ like it should have. Where the word is preached and unity abounds among God's people. This text a couple weeks ago said the grace of God is poured out. In the local assembly, what an awesome privilege that is. The grace of God was flowing freely in this body. We also learned in verses 34 and 35 that every need was being met in the church. As the needs arose, the people were selling their things and giving the proceeds to meet other people's needs. And then there's this connector verse in verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, 
a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's our connector. The connector to chapter 5 is this individual named Barnabas, which that really wasn't his name. His name was Joseph, given other names, but his nickname was Barnabas. What a great thing to get a nickname, and that nickname carried the connotation of one who was an encouragement to others, who was selfless. And here is a man who, when God saved him by grace, he was knit and bound and bonded to the family of God in such a manner that it transformed his hold on his possessions. And when you're saved by grace through faith, uh, it does change even your attitude about the things you have and your possessions. And we see Barnabas giving generously and sacrificing. Barnabas come, becomes the backdrop, stands behind the story of Ananias and Sapphira. There is a word called juxtaposition or juxtaposed. You ever heard that word before? Juxtaposed means that you have two events that are running simultaneously and they're contrasted, but the end result is quite different. Okay, so you have uh, juxtaposed between Barnabas and how that God honored what this man did. And he sold a piece of property and gave proceeds. Well, Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of property and gave proceeds. But what happened at the end was different. They were juxtaposed or in juxtaposition to one another. So, here we have them selling this property. And here's the first thing on my mind as I, I read down to the text and I think about how this church had such awesome unity. The romanticizing of the church is over at this point. Amen? Uh, we're awakened to the fact that this was not a perfect church. And neither is ours. And so the romanticizing of how awesome this church was, we all of a sudden come to grips with the fact that there were human beings that made up this church. And furthermore, Luke is so honest. Uh, this episode is disturbing. It is severe. If God wanted to paint a picture of the early church being all rosy and everything perfect, He definitely would have left this episode out of the world. But that was not His goal. It sheds light on the internal workings of even a spirit-filled church. Even a spirit-filled church has problems. The enemy can get into a spirit-filled church and destroy it. It was, all, it was not all rosy and righteous. In the first two verses we learn of the couple's conspiracy. Uh, as is the case with some of the narratives in Acts, I'm going to preach you the narrative, walk you through and tell you the story, and at the end I'm going to give you some application. Are you ready? The couple's conspiracy at first against the backdrop of Barnabas selling his property, giving all the proceeds, they do the very same thing. Now this was probably not their primary residence, most scholars believe they probably had a vacant lot and they didn't live on it and so they sold this piece of property. Ananias sells it and with his wife's full knowledge he keeps back some of the proceeds and gave some to the church. Now here's something interesting. This phrase kept back for himself is used only one other time in the Old Testament well there's something called the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You ever heard of that before? They took the Hebrew and Aramaic 
and they translate it into Greek. Okay? The only time this phrase is used anywhere in the Word of God is in the Old Testament translation uh, from Hebrew to Greek, and it's found in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. You all know this story? Somebody holler. Somebody say it out loud. It's the story of Achan. The exact same expression, kept back something. It's only used one other time. And this is no accident. There's no question that Luke has the Old Testament in continuity with the New when he tells this story. Or when he says he kept it back for himself. So Luke is drawing a connection with the sin of Achan in Joshua 7 and the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. God said to Achan and all the Israelites, destroy the spoils that you get from battle. But Achan did not do that. He liked what he saw. And he took the spoils and he hid the spoils in his tent. The Israelites go to battle and they get a thorough whipping. And God says, hmm, there's sin in the camp. And Moses, until you get to Joshua, until you get the sin out of the camp, I'm not going to bless you anymore. And this is blood chilling because God begins to narrow the field. He begins to narrow them down tribe by tribe to find out who the sinner is. And it lands on Achan and his family. And the end result was Old Testament church discipline. They were stoned and their bodies were burned. And there's, this is not an accident that Luke would use the same terminology uh, as of Ananias and Sapphira. F.F. Bruce says that the story of Ananias and Sapphira is to the New Testament what the story of Achan is to the book of Joshua. So, both acts of conspiracy and deceit interrupt the glorious progress of the people of God. In this case, it is even more severe because it interrupted the progress of the gospel of the living Son of God. And so, God deals with this. As one writer says in regard to Sapphira, whose name is taken from Sapphire, the jewel, she was not the jewel that Ananias thought he married. So here's both of them making a conspiracy. They both knew full well what was going on. And of course, here you have, uh, to use your imagination, just imagine all the accolades that Barnabas may have received in the church life for selling something and giving the entire amount to the church. Do you think that it's possible that Ananias and Sapphira went home one day and said, you know what? Sure would be nice if we could be recognized by the whole church as well. Now, you, you know I'm using my glorified imagination, which I admire. I think, I think my opinion is pretty good. And there's no question that they probably had a conversation. Uh, think about their motive. And so they think to themselves, well, we got this vacant lot. Let's sell it. And we can give some of the money to the apostles. We don't have to give it all, but we can make them think that we've given it all. If they know we only gave part of it, we won't look as good as Barnabas. Right? Nobody will ever know the actual amount that we gave. We might even go shopping with what's left over. What do you think about that, Sapphire? What do you think about that, Sapphira? Think you can go do that? She's probably up for it. Ananias brings the money, places it at the apostles' feet, just like Barnabas did. And of course, there's probably a service going on in worship. And he no doubt is anticipating that he is going to get some accolades like Barnabas. 
As a matter of fact, it was his time to shine. He could be recognized. They might even make him a direct helper of the apostles, right? When he gets notified, when he gets this, when he gives this offering, gets all these accolades, and people see him giving it. Notice he's there by himself. The only thing I can surmise about that is perhaps Sapphira wanted a little bit of glory too. And if she comes parading in about three hours later, man, the accolades will just crescendo right on up, right? After they recognize Ananias, surely Sapphira will come in. And so it didn't turn out that way. That's not the way this turned out at all. Peter asked a question in verse 3. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So the entire community in chapter 4 is experiencing the control of the Holy Spirit of God upon each of them. And in this case, in contrast, Ananias is filled with the devil. Just think about this. And right there in the embryonic stages of the early church, Right there before the face of God, just early on, here is spirit-filled Christians alongside one that is filled and controlled by Satan. This is sobering. It's frightening. And there's only one other place in the scripture, again, where it says that Satan entered someone in this manner, and that's found in Luke chapter 22. And guess who it is? Judas. That's right. There are two results of this, Peter says. You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you held back some money. Here's the reality. This was supposed to be a voluntary gift. Right? No compulsion. Uh, no one is standing there saying, if you join FBCO and you sell a piece of property, you've got to give 100% to the church. Right? That's not what's going on here at all. The gift was ultimately not for the apostles. It was not even ultimately for the church and the poor. The gift was for God. That's what all your gifts are ultimately the plan was not only to deceive the people, the plan was to deceive God, which is an impossibility. Do you think the exposure of Ananias' sin hit him like a streak of light in a clear blue sky? That's not what he's anticipating at all. He says to him, Ananias, the property was yours, right? You had no obligation to do this. You were under no obligation. There's no coercion upon you at all. You're under no obligation. So, in other words, with his integrity before the Lord, he could have sold it for 100% of the money, took that 100%, and gave 10% to the church and kept 90. Everything would have been fine. He could have given 90 and kept 10. But he only gave half, wanting the people to think he gave it all. That was the problem. He was under no... Notice how, Paul's, uh, how Luke says this. It was under your authority. It was your piece of property. This was not a requirement for church membership or giving a gift. Then Peter says, why did you place this deed in your heart? And notice these two things. This is enlightening because first, Satan fills his heart. But then Peter says, why did you put this in your heart? So he doesn't let him slide off the hook, does he? Moral, he's morally culpable for his own action. He contrived the deed in his own heart. And although Satan filled his heart, Ananias was totally responsible for it. And at the end of the day, he was morally culpable for what he did, for what he did before the living 
God. Then Peter says, you've not only lied to men, but you've lied to God. Now, folks, if ever we see plainly the gravity of our sin, it ought to be right here. Folks, do y'all realize God doesn't take sin lightly? There are no little sins in, in our God's economy. You've lied to God. Your lack of integrity is more of a serious issue than Ananias than you could ever, ever imagine. And so was I. Your integrity, folks, is a serious thing. God doesn't look upon hypocrisy and just wink at it. Never has, never will. The fundamental problem here with Ananias was not the fact that he was a mice like some of the Baptists in this church are. Right? None of you are laughing. The problem was they claimed to be people of integrity, but they proved to be liars. They claimed to be one thing, but yet they were something else. And God didn't look on the pragmatic side of things and say, well, this, at least Ananias gave a little money to the benevolent fund. You know, we would have been pragmatic, right? Well, I know the guy's giving his money just because of show, but at least he's going to give it to the benevolent fund that's going to help somebody. That's not the way God saw this at all. Proverbs 15.3 says that God is watching everywhere. And he is keeping his eye on both evil and good. The God that we are dealing with in this text and in the Bible knows all things, sees all things, searches our hearts, knows our motives and our attitudes. He knows your attitude and motive before you ever think it. So they might have squeaked by in the eyes of man, pulled something off, can't squeak by in the eyes of God. So they wanted all of the praise and accolades and they wanted the generosity, but they wanted it without the sacrifice and without the inconvenience of it. Folks, to serve God is not comfortable and it is very inconvenient. And that's what's wrong with America today. That's what's wrong with American churches. It's not comfortable enough and it's not convenient enough for us. As a matter of fact, uh, God has always told us in the Word that if you come after Him, you've got to pick up your cross. You've got to bear it. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be identification with Him, which will cost us something. Now, there's a reason for giving. Uh, their reason for giving was not to help the poor. It was to fatten their own egos. Now, verse 5 tells us he expired. Now, folks, think about this. Boy, in this worship service, God had everybody's attention. If there was ever a captive audience, and Peter quit saying the words, as soon as he stopped speaking, bang, Ananias dropped dead. Simply heard the words, died. Now, there are liberal scholars commentators who don't like this story because they don't think Jesus would have ever done this. Well, is Jesus God? Right? The fact is, God did it. The Holy Spirit supernaturally gave Peter the message of Ananias' intent, and God supernaturally killed Ananias in his tracks. That's exactly what happened in the text. It was the swift judgment of Almighty God. You know, God actually has a right to do this with us every single time. Aren't you glad He doesn't? Some of you are saying, Old Testament mean God. Don't like dealing with Him. All this judgment, wrath. New Testament's when God starts being nice. He's not so mean. Listen to the Word. Hebrews 10. 
Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And listen to this. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Y'all remember this, don't you? Under the law of Moses when you broke the law. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? That's an argument from lesser to greater. Folks, the judgment that we will incur for rejecting Jesus Christ as our Lord is way worse than anything you could ever contemplate in your mind. And that's the same God that killed Ananias and Sapphira. Listen to the text. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So, there's no sense in you saying and having the attitude that, well, that was just the early stages of the church, or God doesn't act that way today. Well, He can do anything He wants to. Amen. He is absolutely God. And ultimately, folks, this sin was a threat to the church. And this is why God took them out. God is committed to the purity of His people. Folks, please hear me. God is committed to the purity of His people. And this was true in Achan's day. Can't be sin in the camp. And it was true in our day. And he was not going to allow this kind of hypocrisy and fraud among his people. He was not going to allow his body to be tainted. So check out what happens. Luke will say this four times in the book of Acts. Great fear came upon the, the people. Holiness. There was an old theological term called mysterium tremendum. And that translates in Latin terrible mystery of God. I mean, that ought to grip our hearts when we come to worship God, right? That He is terribly mysterious. He is so wholly other, far above us. And this kind of fear was what marked those people. There was no hooping, and there was no hollering at this point in the worship service. Nobody had their chin up and their chest out. Don't get me wrong, when we worship, there ought to be joy in the presence of the Lord. Yet joy ought to always be tempered with a sense of genuine fear of the God that we are dealing with. The God that we belong to. This joy in the Lord should be mixed with an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence and appreciation for the God that we belong to. The God we serve, folks, is holy and He is just. You know, worship is not a show. Worship is not entertainment. This is the assembly of God's holy ones, and we enter into His very presence when we come together corporately as a body. And as they lay on the floor, great fear came upon the people of God. You think the people considered giving an offering and how they would do it the next time? You think it ratcheted up their sense of awareness of who they were giving the offering to? A new seriousness had gripped the early church like never before. Ananias' burial, burial was about as speedy as his death. They scooped the rascal up, wrapped him up, took him out, and chucked him in the garden. Put him in a tomb. Now we get to Sapphira. Three hours later, she comes bebopping in, and she's been shopping. With the money she embezzled from the Lord. Right? Perhaps, again, 
Here she comes, probably expecting some praise. More than likely, things were strangely quiet. And my mind races to wonder, nobody ever ran out the side door to try to catch the fire and say, Yo, come back! <laughs> I wonder why they did They probably were afraid, too. I'm not going to show that message for her. I'm not dropped dead in the process of going out of the church. But she doesn't hear the word when she comes back and she's expecting to see her husband probably sitting at the right side of Peter. But that's not what she sees. Peter's question is a window of opportunity for her. Did y'all catch that? He's given her an opportunity to respond with integrity. And she would have got the opportunity if she had told the truth, but she doesn't. Did you agree? Was this the price? What you put at the apostles' feet, was this the sum amount that you got? Uh, yes, yes it is. And of course, she, he says to her, why don't you agree with your husband? Why are you putting the Lord God to the test? You know, you remember when you were a kid and you got interrogated by your parents? I can remember my brother Jeff and I standing in the Which one of you did this? Well, how did this unfold? And with every question, you think you're going to come to the end of your life, right? <laughs> and you're thinking, what's he going to say? How's Jeff going How's he going to tell the story? And before it's all over, you're just, you're dead in the water, right? It's almost like Sapphira. Peter is saying to her, you know what the Bible says about putting the Lord our God to the test. They both were doing nothing less than putting the Lord God of eternity to the test. And he says, the feet of those who buried your husband are also going to bury you, and she drops dead. Now, folks, I want to remind you that both of them got what they deserved before a holy God. There's no question about it. And before you sense any righteousness springing up in your spirit, you need to pause and thank God that this is not the normal way that He deals with people today. I can promise you we'd have a lot fewer people in this assembly, and you may not even have a preacher. Are y'all listening? This is how serious this text is. Well, in a matter of a few hours, both are dead and both are buried beside one another. And verse 11 gives us this. Fear came upon the whole church and upon those who heard these things. Can you imagine the word on the street? <laughs> Did y'all hear what happened at First Church of Jerusalem this morning? Two people gave an offer and lied to the Holy Spirit of God and God killed them right there in their midst. The people in the community were keenly aware of the power of God at work in that church. That God was there in power, He expected purity, and the holiness of His name, and His judgment was swift. Now, I, I would think that out in the community, people would probably say things like this. I'm not messing with those people. I'm not going to mess with those people's God either. Because He works. He's in power. It's very strange, however, in our world today, church is really not wanting to be known as a place where the awesome power of God is displayed. They'd rather be known as a church that has fun. Boy, is that ever the truth? This means yes. This means no. If you're confused, go like this. Right? I mean, just think about it. In our market-driven society, that we think a reputation of just drawing people any way we can and having fun and games is what it's all about. Folks, this church was known because of the awesome power of God. That's what we want our church to be known as. A church where the power of God is displayed in our midst. 
It wasn't the place where the slickest media presentation or the smoke coming out of the stage or rock and roll music that wasn't on display that day. God dwelt with those people. His holiness was on display. His power was at work. Here's something interesting. Luke calls them the church, ecclesia, which means assembly. And guess where it's taken from? The Old Testament. It was just, just like God has his, had his assembly in the Old Testament of his people. He also has his assembly in the New Testament. And you can't miss this connection. Now, application. Y'all ready? going to be real fast. Number one. Consider the continuity of the assembly of God's people in the Old and New Testament. See that one? Write that one down. We have Achan and we have Ananias. And we have a church body, right? Are y'all tracking with me? We have here the same God and the same spirit and the same dangers. I want to remind you today, we've got the same God, same spirit, and same dangers. Amen. We really do. We just don't think about it that way. And as we proceed through the book of Acts, Luke is going to continue to remind us that God, the God that knew, was also the God of the old. How many times have we played, named that tune from the Old Testament? And how many times have you seen it being fulfilled in our midst? So the people of the new are absolutely in perfect line and harmony with the people of the old, and so are you. Let me remind you that the same God, uh, let me remind you that it is the same God and the same gospel that pervades through Genesis all the way through Revelation. It is a Christian book from Genesis to Revelation. Number two, that didn't take long, did it? Be on guard against the dangerous schemes of Satan. He was already working from the outside to attack, was he not? Persecution was coming from the Sanhedrin. The enemy was on the prowl. With every move, he was trying to destroy the people of God. So he brings persecution from without. The devil is not completely content with just bringing persecution from without. He also brings it from within. He's got dangerous schemes that he infiltrates into people's minds. If he can't destroy the church from outside persecution, he will seek to destroy the church with falsehood, hypocrisy, and lack of integrity. The enemy has many weapons in his arsenal. His schemes are wicked, right? And you not only have to watch for the enemy trying to destroy the church from without, but you've got to watch as he plants in churches those cancer cells that begin to swell and to grow right there in the middle of the church. And he wants them to spread and multiply into the organism. I said organism, right? Not organization. This church is first an organism. It is alive in Christ. Yeah, it needs organization, but the fact of the matter is the enemy is trying his best to thwart the work of God and he often gets right in your pew, in your lap to try to get you to walk in falsehood or to be cantankerous. I joke with our church members that, our, our youth members, when we go through our membership class, we've got JCMs and GCMs in the church. A GCM is a joyful church member. A GCM is a grumpy church member. Right? Which one are you? J, joy, or G, grumpy? Well, I'm going to remind you that your attitude affects the whole body. Your attitude affects the whole body. And I, I know I can't bring out specifically just this one sin because I'm sure we've all been guilty somewhat of even this sin in some manner. But I'm telling you, folks, the unity of our church is so vitally important. 
please don't get on your high horse around here and think that you know what's best and you're going to do it your way no matter what. That's a bad mistake. What we need to do is what God tells us to do. We need to stick to what the Word of God has to say to us. We all serve the same God in here. But I want to remind you that the same devil is still at work today. He's at work. He is actively trying to sow seeds of wickedness in our midst. Number three, realize the power of church discipline. Now, I know this is a unique set of circumstances, yet it still is an example for us. It is a divinely imposed church discipline at this point. In the case of this one, they were removed immediately. Y'all see that, don't you? This was done with severity, but it was done for the good of the whole church body. This was done for the honor and the glory of the name of God. The health of his body was more important than just brushing a sin up under the carpet. The health of the body was so incredibly important. And we as a church must be committed to the biblical process of church discipline. If we are to protect the unity of this body and if we are to demonstrate that we honor God above our petty sins. Right? We've got to be a church that, as hard as it is, that is committed to church discipline. That doesn't mean that we're called to be sin sniffers. Right? That we're just running around trying on a disciplined rampage to try to find somebody who's shacking up or somebody who's doing this or doing that. That's not the call for us to be sin sniffers. However, the honor and the protection of God's body is so vitally important. We cannot and we will not let the sins that are enumerated in the Word of God that must be disciplined just go by the wayside. We've got to deal with it. And you know what that means for a pastor? Because I've been on the, down this road. It breaks your heart. You lose sleep when you have to go to a church member's door and say, I know what you're doing in your life. Well, we might say it this way. On Facebook, <laughs> we have come to understand Number one, that somebody's stupid enough to put it on there. But number two, that this is this true about your life? We gotta have the guts to say, we can't have that down at the church house. We're the bride of Christ. And we're asking you to come before this church body and confess your sin and turn around. It's not punitive. The goal is not to punish the person. The goal is to restore the individual so that they come back to Christ. Even if it means getting the phone slammed down on you a couple times, which I've had that happen, or the door shut in your face. What do I do? I just drive back to the church and say, well, they slammed the door. So take your name off the roll. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I mean, if you're not going to repent and you're not going to turn around, you're off the roll. I mean, most people come to church for two reasons, a couple reasons anyway, right? To get water on them to get rice on them, and to get dirt on them. Are y'all following that? And if that's the only reason we come to church, then we probably don't need to be on the church roll, period. I'm having fun, aren't I? Yeah. I'm going to preach myself happy. The shame, the depth of despair. I've, I, there's been many a night I've gone to sleep and didn't sleep. I got in the bed, but because of sin in the camp, and the purity of the body. And my place before a holy God. It hurts to confront people. You know, you know why it hurts so much? Because you've got to turn the magnifying glass on your own life. 
you got to flip that telescope around, right? You do. It demands that we do this, but let me remind you that none of that ultimately matters. It doesn't matter if we get insulted. We've got corporate responsibility to take church discipline seriously. Why? Because, folks, there's going to come a judgment one day. And you will not escape that judgment. No matter who you are, we can sweep it under the rug today, but one day you're going to stand before the eternal bar judgment of God, and you will not escape that. So what do we do? We, we hold up purity in the church family. We make our God's desires a prerogative in our life. But in this case, son, swift judgment. Death number two, death number one, death number two. Burial one, burial two. God saw that wasn't going to be a chance at that point to repent instantaneously. Now, some of you are wondering, hmm, were they Christians? Ananias and Sapphira. Well, just because you're numbered among the saints don't make you the same. Right? I mean, we can say that up front. I think more than likely they were false professors. I don't know that for sure. They may have been saved by grace through faith, and God just killed them. Took them on the glory. It's highly possible. He's done it before. But in their false profession, they were found out, cut down, cut off. Number four, live out our lives together in integrity before the Lord and the fear of the Lord. Just think about those words. Here at First Baptist, let's live out our lives together with integrity before the Lord and in the fear of the Lord. If we cannot live with integrity and honesty with the fellow believers in this body that say they believe in the God who knows all things, who sees all things, folks, if you can't live with integrity and honesty in here, where in the world can you do that? I mean, this is the place where we ought to do that. Where we can be transparent here. This passage kind of tightly grabs us by the throat, doesn't it? And not only does it grab us, it shapes us, awakens us. Here's something we all know. We're all sinners. And yes, there are things in our lives that if we all stood up and gave public testimony to, we'd be absolutely ashamed. Would we not? We need to live with some transparency and say we're sinners. We're not putting on airs. We're sinners. One lesson here is don't try to be something you're not. Be real. Have integrity with one another in the community of faith. And be honest. Can't tell you how many times people have walked into my office and they sit down and they can't say anything. They don't know what to say. They just look at And I say, well, can I help you? What's the reason for your visit? Well, preacher, if I say this to you, it's going to shock you. Look at me. Y'all don't think I'm that dumb, do you? <laughs> I pastored for a long time. I've had a lot of people in my office. You're never going to tell me anything that's going to shock me. I promise you. You're not. Because what I want to look at you and say is this. You are a whole lot worse before the eyes of God than you think you are. Y'all do realize that, don't you? Because before a holy God, you're a lot worse off than you think you are. Let's just be real. We're sinners. It's almost like, well, if I tell you this, you might think I'm a sinner, preacher. Let's go ahead and settle something down. I know you are. <laughs> right? I know I am. We're sinners. And if there's anything we see from this text, it's live with integrity. I mean, go ahead and be honest that we're sinners. But when the crud floats to the top, 
We don't want anybody to see it. Don't fake it. Live before God in the face of God with fear, transparency before God. The major sin for Ananias and Sapphira was they forgot who God is. They forgot what God is like. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I want to remind you that the fear of God is absolutely essential for the health and holiness of this church body. Let us proceed with the right attitude to fear God, with health, I mean, to be a healthy church. And by all means, please take this passage seriously. Uh, most of you probably have never heard a sermon on Ananias and Sapphira. If you've never heard a sermon on Praise Your Hand, you've never heard a sermon on Acts 5. That's a lot of people. And my simple reminder is to tell you first that I, don't have, I have no other choice than to preach what God's Word says. I'm not going to hiccup over it. I'm going to preach what the Word says. But here's a second reminder. For all of us, please take it seriously. Take the passage seriously. He is our awesome and holy God. And He is not to be trifled with. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we thank you for Lord, even Acts chapter 5, Lord, it's gripping. But Lord, uh, we've learned so much in Acts that we have to preach Jesus, that we are called to be bold of witness, that we need to be out sharing our faith. We need to be praying in accordance with your will. We need to be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit, that has the right kind of fellowship. But Lord, we're introduced to another part of what the church ought to be, and that's a pure church. Where church discipline is part of our body. Why? Because, God, you deserve a pure bride. You deserve people who are seeking. Lord, we're sinners, but, Father, we're seeking to honor you in all that we do. And when we're told that we're in sin, or when we're confronted with our sin, we don't need to lie, put up an offense. We just need to bow and say, God, thank you that someone brought this to my attention. And that someone was willing to say to me, hey, you're outside the lines. God, would you help all of us to willingly repent in those moments and turn back to the God that we belong to? God, would you help us do that? Perhaps even in this church body today, there are people who have had up an offense against someone for years, and they're sitting in this church. Today, they need to get that right before a holy God. There are people that may not have the right motives in this church for why they come and for what they do. God, would you forgive us for that and would you work in hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.